0: Blessed are those who thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. My name is Jeremy Lightning. I'm here with Pastor Michael Zarling, and uh, today we're going to cover Revelation chapters six through ten. And in uh, chapter six of Revelation, we get one of the most familiar images that even people who are not very familiar with the Bible they know about the four horsemen of the apocalypse, and and that's what that's what we have before us today. Um, the way that I try to explain it to students is um, this is the most swift moving force that you could think of uh, in John's time is somebody on horseback, uh, if you wanted to get a message somewhere. And uh, so we have these these four forces. I don't know, you make a r- up a rhyme with forces and horses. Uh, these four forces moving all over the world all the time at great speeds um, and uh, I don't know how you wanted to approach them, but uh, I, we should probably mention at least what they are.
1: Well, yeah, so the, you have the first one is the rider on the white horse. And I think what I want to do today as we go through this is, like I mentioned last week, is that everything that we talk about in Revelation that Jesus reveals to St. John to write down is are, are things that are found elsewhere in Scripture, so the re- the the rider on the white horse uh well who is that? So I've heard it
0: said that this is false religion um because it looks so much like uh Jesus later in the book of Revelation um and and that uh false re- all the other things are bad and so this this must be false religion. Um, I, I personally think uh, it's a much better interpretation to say um, that this is actually a positive thing. This is there's an immovable force going around the world of uh, the kingship of Jesus ruling in people's hearts. Um, that you uh, were like you said, it, when Jesus predicted the last day, the last day in the end times, uh, he said things like there's wars and rumors of wars and famines and earthquakes and plagues and the gospel will be preached in all nations.
1: Right. And that's what I was. I've always taught it that way, that this writer is Christ. Uh, it's representing Christ preaching the gospel because uh, Jesus says in Matthew 24 and really Everything that we're going through here in Revelation, you find in Matthew 24, uh, verse 14, this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. That's Matthew 24? It is. Okay. I just missed the chapter. Sorry. Go ahead. Uh, and then who is the fiery red
0: horse? Uh, I think they say it pretty clearly that it's war. Right. Uh, he's, he's got an instrument of war. He's got a sword. That.
1: Yep, that's the sword. Yeah, and that fits with Matthew 24 verses 6 through 7. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed because all these things must happen, but that is not yet the end. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And then the third horseman, who's that?
0: Uh, I would say famine. Yep.
1: Yeah, seeing as how it says it. It's famine too. I think.
0: It, it does. It say that explicitly. It's but it, it, the, the thing. Uh, the other part of it is that there's inflation because you've got somebody saying, uh, "Well, let's set prices for what uh, what it's going to cost for a, a quart of wheat for a denarius and three quarts of barley for a denarius, uh, and do not dilute the oil and the wine." They're saying uh, basically. So what is it? A denarius is the uh, a a day's wages and imagine paying uh, a day's wages for a sandwich.
1: That's, that's basically what it's, it's saying here. And that again fits with what Jesus says in Matthew 24. Uh, There will be famines and earthquakes in various places, but all of these things are only the beginning of birth pains. And then you've got a sickly green horseman. Who's that? Uh, Death. It's gotta be. Yeah. So that does explicitly say it. His his rider was named death and the grave followed closely with him. And that fits with uh, Matthew 24 verse nine. Then they will hand you over to be persecuted and they will put you to death.
0: And grave there could mean hell. Uh, So the idea is that uh, there's a lot of people dying. In fact, everybody Uh, and, 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 there are a lot of people going to hell. And that would fit with what Jesus says about the narrow door, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. That there, there, are not, there, there are few who are going to enter through to eternal life.
1: So I've got a couple of questions for you, Jeremy. The first one is, who are the four horsemen of wrestling?
0: Uh, that, is, that is a good question. I, I think you just struck me out with your okay. curveball.
1: All right. Well... If you're a wrestling fan, this is way back there. Uh, this is even before WCW. Uh, but uh, Ric Flair, Arn Anderson, Ole Anderson, and Tully Blanchard. All right. How about this one? Who are the four horsemen of the X Men? Uh, Wolverine. No. No, I don't. I don't know. All right, so because the four horsemen of the apocalypse, they were in the comic books, they're in the '80s cartoon show, and they were in a movie, but you still don't know them. All right, so the,
0: the four horsemen of the X Men.
1: Yeah, of the apocalypse. So they followed Apocalypse, who was a the very first mutant in Egypt in 3000 BC, and then in my modern times then he gathered storm and psylocke archangel and magneto i won't explain who all those guys are and ladies magneto is one of them magneto was one of them he was the first one to betray apocalypse by the way
0: okay yeah
1: i grew up on that tv show
0: for now that that puts a whole new spin on the of of apocalypse the Uh, the horsemen of
1: of the apocalypse.
0: apocalypse yes all right so uh, the the other thing to note in this chapter is the seven seals. And this is uh, going back to what we discussed last time about the different angles uh, of, or replays, as we would think of it with football today uh, or uh, any sport that you watch, that you watch the replay from this angle and from that angle and from another angle. Um, well, that also should tell you something about the book of Revelation when you see all these sevens. Uh, when you see a uh, one set of sevens, and then later we 're going to have seven trumpets and seven bowls, this should be showing you that this is the same thing happening uh, it 's not a sequential timeline it 's not that we should be calculating when the last day is going to be or that this is going to happen, and then that 's going to happen no th- these are These are all just different camera angles of the same uh, events throughout. Uh, throughout world history from the time that Jesus ascended until the time he returns.
1: And talking about the the seven seals is you'll often see an image of the lamb, a victorious lamb with a banner and a cross and he's uh, laying down and then there are seven seals underneath him. Uh, that's a very ancient symbol for revelation. We have two churches here in our area, First Evan, downtown Racine, St. John's, and Oak Creek. Uh, those, uh, That symbol of the lamb and the seven seals, that's right there, uh, right front and center of their churches.
0: And the other thing to notice about these sets of seven is that at the end of each of them, you've got an uh, an apocalyptic uh scene you've got a picture of the last day, so the last day, if you take it all in order it's it it would end up looking like the last day happens three times, but that's not the way that you're you you need to interpret it uh, the, the chapter ends with the last day from the angle of the seven seals
1: and then right at the end there of the chapter, it talks about uh. Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come. Who is able to stand? Well, that's right from uh, Hosea 10, verse 8. It's word for word. Uh, And then, you know, these unbelievers that are terrified on the last day, again, their confession of a lack of faith fits very well with St. Paul's confession of faith to the Philippians. In chapter 2, he says, Therefore, God also highly exalted him, speaking of Christ, and gave him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the father. So unbelievers are going to mourn when they see God, but they'll still confess that Jesus is the son of God and the the lamb of God and that he is real, but it's going to be too late. And all that unbelievers are going to be able to do is confess that they now know God's wrath because they have rejected God's love.
0: Should we enter chapter 7? Yes. Uh, John sees four angels standing at the four corners of the earth and uh, they're holding back wind. They're keeping the winds, the four winds uh, from blowing on the earth. And uh, then we have a scene where God assigns uh, an angel to mark all of those that he has chosen. And the total number of all those that he has chosen is 144,000. So um, that sounds to me like there's just going to be 144,000 people in heaven and and no more.
1: Except in verse 9. That
0: that was sarcasm, by the way.
1: In verse 9 after John uh, says there's 144,000 based on 12,000 on each tribe, he says, and there's a great multitude from every nation, tribe, people, and language that no one could count, except you just counted them. Mm-hmm. Uh, but before we get to that is the seal. I think that's such an important thing. Uh, again, listeners, read Ezekiel chapter 9, the first six verses. It's really this, uh, but I'll just read just one verse, verse 4. Uh, So here, Ezekiel seeing a vision of God sealing believers in Jerusalem before God destroyed the city. Uh, The Lord said to him, go through the city, through Jerusalem, and put a cross mark on the foreheads of those who moan and lament over the abominations being committed in her. The the cross mark placed on the people was the Hebrew letter Tav, which is very similar to our uh, English lowercase t. And sometimes the Tav looked like an X, sometimes it looked like a T. Well, the T looks like a cross. Now, Ezekiel is 500 years before Christ is crucified, but think of that cross being placed on the believers' heads as a, as a mark sealing them for salvation, and what does a pastor do in baptism? He places the sign on the head down to the heart, sealing us for Christ's salvation. And just think of that, that 500 years before Christ died on the cross, and now at the end of time, God is putting his seal on his people.
0: And you can tell that this isn't a literal list of, of an exact number, uh, for for the reasons that uh, Pastor Zarling mentioned, but also for the uh, fact that you have things like the tribe of Joseph, the Joseph didn't have a tribe. There was a there was a dual tribe, um, and there there are even tribes missing out of this list. So you can tell this is supposed to just give us a picture that everybody who was part of God's believing church on earth is not going to be excluded from God's believing church in paradise. Um, and, and so, that, that includes you. you. You can
1: see yourself in one of these tribes. And then look at uh, Revelation 13 and 14. There's more mention of a seal. Uh, the one that we we usually talk about is the seal of the beast, the mark of the beast, 666. that's put on the unbelievers, but then in chapter 14 is the seal that is placed on the head of the believers. It's the same one that we just mentioned. And what's interesting here too is that John is picturing uh, nine angels. Uh, That the first four angels are holding back the winds of the earth. Uh, You know, they're God's holy angels who are keeping evil in his place until God signals the time for the final events at the end of the world. Then there's that angel that we mentioned that has the seal of God and then that angel speaks to the others that are going to bring that destruction uh, who are given power to harm the earth and the sea. And those can either be evil angels I like to think of them as they're God's angels that he's using for destructive purposes. Uh, Just like he used uh, the angel to wipe out 185,000 of his enemies at one time. God can use his angels for, for protection for his people and often protection for his people means justice for God's people's enemies.
0: Mm -hmm. Uh, The closing verses of chapter 7 uh, are very familiar uh, the, even if you don't know them you've you've probably heard them at uh, like some a funeral or something like that um there are a lot of beautiful pictures of what we can look forward to in the paradise to come um And the interesting thing is when you look at them all together, that they are most often describing what will not be in heaven Uh, instead of saying, well, you'll get to have uh, roller coasters and puppies and uh, uh, chocolate brownie uh, fudge ice cream all the time. um, All that stuff will be there if, if, if you need God to have it there for you, but uh, it's more important according to God's word here that we look at uh, what are the things that are not going to be there. And that sounds like a wonderful place too a place where there isn't going to be hunger or thirst or scorching heat or uh, uh, tears uh, shed because of people hurting one another.
1: Yeah. What a beautiful scene of eternal life. There's no sorrow or suffering in heaven. Uh, One last thing I wanted to focus on is verse 14. So, Jeremy, what's the difference in verse 14 in previous translations of this verse? They translated, these are the ones, talking about the saints, who have come out of the Great Tribulation, as opposed to the way it's, I think, correctly translated in the EHV, the ones who are coming out. What's the difference between past tense and present tense? Uh, That the one... Would mean, um,
0: it, I, you know, I teach language and I'm, I'm struggling to, uh, we just got done with our first week of school at Shoreland and uh, I have uh, quite a few German students that I didn't have last year and uh, some new things going on with, yeah, I've, I'm going to have to plead a fried brain on well, that's that that's okay, you can,
1: you can pick it up from me. Uh, you can correct whatever things I say wrong, is uh, the way I teach this is that John sees those who are coming out, meaning he sees the saints who are being persecuted in that first century. But he also sees us. You know, we just saw just a few days ago of uh, the Taliban uh, blowing up uh, like 200 people, at least 13 or 17 American troops uh, over at the airport in in Afghanistan. And you know, if those are Christians, they are coming out of the great tribulation, the great persecution and suffering here on earth. And John sees them. It's a continual thing, not a past thing. Those who have come out and it stops. They are those who are coming out until the last baby that's born and baptized before Jesus comes again, he sees all of them coming out. That's the way I teach it. Yeah, it it, it
0: was something I could picture in my mind, uh, but I'm glad you were able to put it into words for me. Um, in uh, in chapter eight, uh, we have a rather difficult thing to wrestle with, and it's not just the fact that there are cryptic and and mysterious terms and pictures like, uh, you know, Wormwood, the star that was named Wormwood uh, and uh, a mountain of burning with fire thrown into the sea. Uh, Yeah, those are tough little puzzles to unravel. But uh, what's really hard about this chapter is that um, God is the one who causes these hardships on earth. And, And we often have, we often struggle uh, when we talk that way, because uh we we want to think of God primarily as our loving heavenly Father uh, who wants nothing but good for us and wants the sinner to repent uh, and and be forgiven and and the sinner has forgiveness um, but uh, what we see here in chapter eight is that the saints in heaven uh are praying and and saints on earth are praying and saying, "How long, O Lord, you know avenge us, avenge us and here's what happens in chapter eight. God answers their prayer by uh, sending this angel with the gold censer uh, to fill up with hot coals and then hurl those hot coals down on the earth and cause all of these problems and troubles that we see uh, in the first four trumpets. Um, it, it, it's, it's kind of a, a tough thing. But even as I'm talking right now, I realize it's, it's also a gracious gift when God carries out judgment. Maybe that's the way to answer this
1: exactly and I was just trying to think of President Bush's speech after 9-11 you know he's standing at ground zero and I don't remember exactly but it was something like uh, they hear us or you hear us and they'll they will all hear us is he's bringing judgment uh, you know hell hellfire onto uh, ISIS And bin Laden and so forth that brought that terror on our nation. And to think of, oh, that's cruel. Well, no, it's protecting American people, American lives. And that's what God does for his people. And notice that the saints pray for that, uh, that they are underneath the altar asking God to avenge their blood. Uh, And so God is getting ready to answer their prayers uh, as he brings judgment on the world. One of the things that I thought was striking, too, in verse one, uh, when the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour.
0: I think we should do a test run of that on this podcast <laughs> right now. Let's, and, keep, let's keep silent for a half hour and make them all just listen to nothing.
1: Yes, <laughs> you couldn't do it. No one could. Because silence makes people feel uncomfortable. Uh, you know, I think of when I read that verse thinking of Lutheran worship. There's not a lot of silence in Lutheran worship. We're going like that, one right after the other. Uh, just think of how uncomfortable it makes people feel for the 20 to 30 seconds of silent meditation for private confession in a worship service. People start squirming after a while. They're not used to it. And now, uh, you know, half an hour, I don't think it'd be probably be 30 minutes because this is an eternity, but... You know, uh, Jesus is giving picture language here, but that idea of there's all this noise and then nothing, silence, and then the seventh seal. Uh, oh, and so then well, I was going to say, sorry, is the, the trumpets. Yeah. Now, then come the trumpets, and the trumpets, You know, we usually think of them as musical instruments, but this is oftentimes the, the trumpets in the Old and also the New Testament, they were used then for... For war, uh, They were used for it, it, it was basically
0: warning. It was basically like an air raid siren or a tornado siren that you heard. If you heard a trumpet, it was saying there's, there's danger on the horizon or you need to watch out. And that's, that's kind of what these trumpets are like.
1: Yeah, uh, that just reminded me of a video I saw yesterday of a guy. Somehow, for some reason, he was videotaping himself and he's got an itty bitty little car. But he's going through an intersection, and someone else turned in front of him. He would have uh, smacked into this guy, but he blew his horn. But it wasn't a regular uh, little girly horn like I've got in my car. This was a train horn, <laughs> and you could hear it, and the, the guy stopped. And that warning saved a crash. Mm. And so I want to get one of those. I should replace the, my car, but I really want one for my bike. I was going to say, you should put that on your bike. Yeah.
0: Um, there there are some tough nuts to crack as far as what does this all mean? Uh, th- there's a mountain being thrown into the sea, burning with fire. Uh, you could think of a lot of God's covenant people in the Old Testament and how they were often depicted as a mountain and a, a place of refuge and majesty and, and beauty um, and and yet, uh, what a shameful thing when they reject the Messiah, uh, that they they end up getting cast into the sea, all ablaze. Um, there is uh, the the issue with the star named Wormwood, and uh, things you can see. There's a lot of environmental type of disasters described here. I don't think it, we have to say that these are the, John is literally watching them happen. But he is watching things that are uh, signified in, in in the real world. So th- when he says uh, things about uh, the moon and the stars, uh, that doesn't just have to be symbolic language all the time. Uh, it, it could be the, these are referring to actual environmental disasters.
1: And uh, what are these disasters? Again, when you... Pay close attention to these disasters of the seventh seal. It's, uh, they're the same as in, in Exodus of the plagues that God brought on, on Egypt because they were persecuting God's people. Again, God brings judgment on his enemies to protect his people. Uh, the first trumpet, God sent hail mixed with fire on Egypt. Many of the crops were burned up. There's the second trumpet. You, you can recall how Moses changed the waters of Egypt into blood. There's the third trumpet. Again, the plague of blood is referred to. Think of how bitter it was for the Egyptians. And then the fourth trumpet, God sent darkness on the Egyptians, symbolizing their spiritual darkness. And then, Jeremy, you mentioned wormwood. Uh, so wormwood is a plant that tastes very bitter. All the waters tasted bitter as a result of this disaster. Uh, And although a star can often symbolize Christ, uh, here Wormwood seems to be a name for Satan or one of his demons. Uh, C.S. Lewis, uh, last year in our uh, Lutheran book club, we read C.S. Lewis, The Screwtape Letters. I don't know if you've read that. Mm -hmm. Uh, Excellent book. Uh, Even though it was written uh, during the time of World War II, it's still fitting today. I encourage all of you to listen to it and read it. But Wormwood is uh, in the Screw Tape letters. Uh, Wormwood is uh, the nephew of the demon Screw Tape, and so C.S. Lewis uses that uh, pick that name from Revelation chapter eight in his book. Uh, did you want to say anything about the
0: eagle flying and saying woe to the uh, people of Earth? because of the trumpet blasts about to come, that's kind of just more a transitional picture uh, from chapter 8 to chapter 9. Um, there is that idea of John being symbolized as an, angel, uh, an eagle, and we had that with the four creatures before the throne. But
1: No, uh, oh, I hadn't heard of John being the eagle.
0: The, that's the symbol for the apostle John? No. Oh. It is. It's one. It's one symbol for the All apostle. All right. So John. you just learned something. Today. Oh well, I'm glad I mentioned it. There you go. Uh, chapter nine. Uh, we've got the the locusts from hell. Um, there are a lot of strange features on these locusts that are uh, coming up from the abyss. And uh, I, how how do you want to approach this?
1: Have you ever read the book? Uh, Hal Lindsay's The Late Great Planet Earth? No. All right, don't. Uh, <laughs> so that was something I read. It came out in the 70s, and I read it, I remember, in college. I had to do a paper on Revelation. And in that book, uh, he talks about the locusts with breastplates of iron and the sound of their wings and tails with stingers like scorpions. You know what he thought they were? They're modern-day Blackhawk and Apache helicopters. Uh, I, I've heard that, yes. Yeah, because they're metal wings and guns that stung with the bullets and so forth. Uh, and then he predicted that the Great Tribulation would have been happening at the end of the 80s because mm. it would happen with, within one generation of uh, Israel becoming a nation. So it mm. happened in the 1940s. And he figured one generation would be about forty years, so the end of the world tribulation uh, the, would take place at the end of well, when I was graduating high school. Obviously, that didn't take place. And these locusts are not Black Hawk helicopters mm-hmm. because a big thing we need to understand when we read Revelation is uh, everything that was mentioned to John it had to fit with and be applied to the people of the first century and the 11th century, and the 15th century, and the 21st century and beyond. Mm-hmm. It can't just be Black Hawk helicopters, because uh, what if the world continues to go on for another 1,000, 2,000 years?
0: If we find new instruments of war other than helicopters, then that would cease to be applicable. So then um, what are these locusts? Well, uh, I've heard them referred to as demons. Um, I don't think that's necessarily wrong. I like to think of them... Uh, as false doctrines, or maybe, maybe you could say doctrine, the Bible calls them doctrines of demons, false doctrine. Um, but, uh, wh- what is it that they do? They're, uh, they, they come from human heads. Uh, their heads were, uh, li- like, human. Um, they, uh, they move quickly. They're, they're horses ready for battle. Um, they have a, a crown of some kind of approval on them. Um, uh. Their hair is like women 's hair; they're attractive there 's something that is drawing or alluring about them and uh, but their teeth were like lions teeth uh, but but really once once they grab a hold of you, false
1: doctrines uh turn you into food for satan and one false doctrine I read about this week is over in Harvard. I know most people don 't realize this that Harvard was established to be a a seminary, you know, to teach Mm -hmm. preachers. I've heard that. Yep. And that's long gone away, but they still have preachers and so forth. Well, their uh, head preacher, their bishop in Harvard is an atheist Hmm. and he was voted in unanimously. Well, right there, you could say there's a locust, Mm -hmm. Uh, there's a false teaching and these false doctrines are so tormenting. Because they turn people to their own works to find salvation, and then people live with their own burdens. Uh, Their consciences are going to trouble them, torment them. Uh, They're not going to have any hope, and then they're going to die. Uh, Here uh, in the Midwest and so forth, and even I think so much in America, we don't have to deal with locusts too much maybe a better picture if john was giving this receiving this vision from jesus today he'd use mosquitoes <laughs> you know just think of you're you're sitting outside or uh you know tonight we're going to be at uh, your son's football game and you know if we get together that he'll be watching with us <laughs> uh i don't think or or afterwards a lot of times people will get together for a bonfire and so forth well you're going to get eaten up by mosquitoes and you know, they're going to torment you and so forth. And the next day, I know people that are just all swollen up from these mosquito bites.
0: And, and I, I think that's a good uh, point to make, because when it comes to false teaching, it can be kind of demoralizing or, or disheartening to see, man, there are a lot of false teachings out there. Well, no kidding. They're swarming. They're swarming like, you know, like you said, mosquitoes or uh, for people in biblical times, the
1: locusts. And they're all being sent by uh, verse eleven, uh, Abaddon and Apollyon. They th- both those words mean destroyer. So the angel of the abyss, who is the king over the demons, is Satan, and he's the one that's controlling these locusts. Uh, later,
0: again, there's a couple more tough nuts to crack at the end of this chapter, chapter nine. Um, there are angels uh, across the river Euphrates and uh, they they've been prepared for this day month and, and year and hour uh and uh, and they were let loose so that they could kill a third of the of the people um i i have a theory about this and i'm not sure that uh, i've heard it anywhere else but so maybe i'm just making up stuff out of the blue but uh what do you do with that uh, the, these four angels at, across the river euphrates I'm really interested in hearing your brand new teaching on this. Well, I, maybe maybe I did read it somewhere and I just forgot I read it. But um, I'm thinking geographically, this is uh, where um, Islam comes from.
1: Right. Uh, you know, oftentimes you think of warfare and spiritual delusions or false doctrines. Uh, you know, some commentators think, well, this is just... Uh, you know false doctrine. others are going to say it's it's physical warfare and yet i don't think we have can it to be separate both? those it can be both yeah. like militant islam or atheistic communism mm, sure so that's where i would go with it but i i want to hear yeah, more yeah no no
0: me. no that i i like i said i maybe did some reading on this and ended up thinking that uh, somebody else's idea was my own original idea so if if that yeah if if you've come across that too then i, I would I would go with it. I that. have
1: no original ideas anymore. It's always <laughs> getting it from other people.
0: You, you certainly see, uh, again, some striking imagery, uh, which, yeah, I like that. I like that there can be both physical warfare and uh, spiritual false teaching that are intermingled in, in these images. All right. Revelation 10. Yes. Uh, we have an angel that comes down out of heaven. And it uh, puts one foot on the earth and one foot on the sea. And uh, there are a lot of clues and hints here that we have to end up saying this angel must either be Christ himself or some kind of uh, angelic ambassador to represent Christ. And uh, either way you go, I think it's, it's safe on that
1: score. But um, yeah, yeah, with that, that's exactly what I was reading, too, is... Uh, It sounds like Christ because John has words that often uh, refer to Christ as a cloud, a rainbow, sun, fire, foot on the sea, one on the land, a loud voice. But he's only called an angel. Uh, He swears by God and not by himself. And John does not bow down to worship him. So like you said, this is either Christ or Christ representative, maybe like uh, St. Michael, the archangel. Uh, one of the things that's interesting in
0: this section is that it's a little scroll and uh, that that sort of differentiates it from the uh, big scroll with the seven seals that we heard in the earlier chapters. Uh, that's why I l- like saying that scroll, it had writing on both sides. There's a lot of writing. Here's all of world history. Uh, and I had a teacher at the seminary, and uh, maybe you've heard this too, uh, that made the point that uh, if ever people say that the Bible is a really long book, really what you could say is that, uh, honestly, the Bible is r- a rather short book. Of all the things that God could say or might well, have wanted to say, uh, the Bible ends up being a, a little scroll. And uh, it also ends up being like it's described here, when a lot of times you first uh, take it in or, or, or read it, uh, it's very sweet, it's, it's the good news of Jesus. But then also you find out that Jesus says, uh, take up your cross and follow me. And then it turns sour in your stomach. It, it, you, still, you still take it in. You still ingest it. But it, it can be a tough pill to swallow.
1: Yeah, with that last part you said of, uh, you know, it's a tough pill to swallow. It can be sour. That's the end of John chapter 6. Uh, I'm going to be preaching on that in the next two Sundays. Uh, with a, just a two-part series on uh, why is it so difficult to follow Jesus? One is because he expects commitment and the other is because his teachings are hard. And you read that in John chapter 6 that the people of Israel, uh, the Jewish people, they grumble at Jesus' teachings and he says, I am the bread of life. Eat my flesh and drink my blood. And you know they grumble at that. But then... Uh, The larger group of Jesus disciples also grumble and they said, this is a hard teaching. And so they, a lot of them leave. Uh, So yeah, it is a a difficult pill to swallow. Uh, Going back to that angel just for a moment uh, with him standing on uh, the sea and the shore. uh, We see in chapter 13, that Satan is standing by the shore of the sea. And then we see a beast arise from the sea and another one from the earth so the imagery there is Satan has his agents in the world but Jesus has a foot in the sea and on the land or, or he's, he's got Satan, it covered. He's got it covered. He's in control. What do you make out of the the seven thunders that they're so bad that John is told not to write them down? Do you want to know what those seven thunders are? Uh
0: part of me does. Uh but that would that would be my sinful flesh. Now did, did you were you just using hyperbole or exaggeration when you said they're so bad? No, I think, I, I think that I, I, yeah. Uh, this is um, if God doesn't want us to know something, then
1: uh, we don't, we don't get to know it. Yeah. I'm, I'm thinking that, you know, this suffering is going to be you know worse and worse. And as you see the pictures kind of intensify, as you said before, uh, Jesus gives the same vision just in different ways to John that the persecution and suffering on god 's people it gets worse, and so uh, oh i I see i
0: I was kind of thinking about it from that angle of the little scroll that the the book is a short book, and here 's something that God could have said He could have written down what the Seven Thunders or told John to write down what the seven thunders said, but uh, that 's actually making the the Bible a shorter book. By um, not not writing it down, and if if he doesn't if he doesn't make it known to you, then it's going to remain a mystery. And so he's, he's it's kind of he, he's playfully dangling something in front of us a little bit. I think uh, the heavenly father is and and saying that um, eh, you you're just going to have to wait to heaven to ask me what the
1: seven thunders said. Yep, <laughs> it's a mystery. And I know your brain is fried because you were teaching high schoolers all this week. But I'm still going <laughs> to ask you this question. Who are some of your top mystery authors? Do you read mysteries?
0: Uh, I've read some mystery. Uh, it's Agatha Christie. Yep. Um,
1: I have to read some of hers yet. I have to get uh, reserve some of her books from the library. Agatha Christie's good.
0: Yeah, when I was younger, I read the Hardy. some Hardy Boys, some Nancy Drew, some Boxcar Children. Oh, uh, I read en- Encyclopedia Brown. Oh, that was of what course, I grew up on. Of course, yes. Those are nice bite-sized little chapters of you you just, and and I I never was smart enough to figure out whatever it was that he figured out, but then I had to look in the back and see what the solution was.
1: Yeah, some other ones would be Alfred Hitchcock, Edgar Allan Poe, but I read uh, all of Arthur Conan Doyle's uh, Sherlock Holmes. Mm. Those are really good, too. Okay. Yeah. Just just as you're thinking about mystery and you want to find out more, and I think that's a good way of picturing the Bible. Uh, I was just writing up announcements for our people in September. We've got, I think, there's like five different Bible studies during the week that people can go to. And a good way to picture it is, hey, these are all mysteries. You can know a little bit more just like you want to get to the end of a mystery book and see who did it. I think you want to and how I think you want to get to the end of the Bible over and over again and see who's active, which is Jesus, and how does he do it? Well he saves us. All right, what else do you got on this? I I'm all talked out. My brain like I said, my brain is fried. Well what does it mean then about John eating the scroll? Oh well just uh, I always like uh, that
0: prayer from the old hymnal. I don't know if you have one around yeah. here, but uh, it 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 is asking God, uh, please help us uh, as we as we take your word. Uh, help us to read, mark, uh, uh, and inwardly digest. Um, I'm yeah, I'm gonna you're gonna have to talk while I look this up.
1: Now. Yeah, well, I was thinking of that too. What he's talking about there is. Uh, he says, take it, the angel said to John, take it and eat it. It will make your stomach bitter, but in your mouth it will be as sweet as honey. And I thought there of my grandmother, whenever I had a sore throat, she said, have some tea and then mix, put some honey in it, it tastes better. Well, tea is disgusting. It doesn't matter how much honey you put in it. Uh, and then I took the little scroll out of the angel's hand and I ate it. It was as sweet as honey in my mouth, but when I had eaten it, my stomach was made bitter. Uh, you know, it seems weird. Again, to eat a scroll. But again, that's picture language from Ezekiel chapter 2. There's a similar example of a scroll being received and digested by Ezekiel. And and I remember back when the new hymnal came out. It was, I think it's so funny we still refer to it that way at, at 25 years later. But when that hymnal came out, I was vicaring in Lawrenceville, Georgia. And I remember hearing... One of the members say to the pastor, because in the service of the word, the verse of the day was, uh, taste and see that the Lord is good. And the guy said to the pastor, well, I can taste and see that a Big Mac is good. And the pastor replied, it's in the Bible. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's from Psalm 34, verse eight, taste and see that the Lord is good.
0: So, uh. I did find it now. The the Collect for the Word, it's page 14 in the old hymnal, and uh, it goes like this. Blessed Lord, who hast caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning, grant that we may in such wise hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that by patience and comfort of thy holy word, we may embrace and ever hold fast, the blessed hope of everlasting life, which thou hast given us in our Savior, Jesus Christ, who liveth and reigneth with thee and the Holy Ghost, ever one God, world without end. Uh, I actually used that for a conference paper I wrote once uh, that was about faith. And what I ended up kind of coming to at the end of the paper was um, faith is sort of like your, the, the stomach of your soul. That's, that's what... Uh, that's what we do. We take we take in God's word and digest it, and enrich and and strengthen our bodies with it, and and it all kind of uh, focuses around that uh, concept of faith uh, at at the core is is your stomach.
1: Anything else on Revelation chapter ten? That's more than enough, I think. All right. So next week, we're going to continue with Revelation. And if you've looked ahead at your reading schedule, you notice that it ends with chapter 14. So uh, Jeremy and I, were are going to work on doing the rest of Revelation. We don't want to just stop at chapter 14. So we're going to be doing some extra episodes uh, with chapters 15 through 22, which may put us behind in some of the other stuff we want to get to, but uh, we think it'll be interesting for you. So this is Pastor Michael Zarling with Apocalypse. And I can only hope to be one of your four horsemen. I'll I'll be Archangel. He's got metal wings. So stay thirsty, my friends, then drink deeply from the water of life.